Do you ever experience regret? Yeah, I mean, most people do. Are you regretting a choice? I don't know. Maybe. Well, sometimes I wonder. Was Midnight Grappler Animals a stupid name for a show? I mean, there's way dumber names out there. I mean, at least we didn't let Sean Gordon Murphy name our show. Wait, wait, wait. Sean Murphy has a show? What did he name his show? Uh, Bat-ass. Like, Batman and Bad-ass? Yeah. Well, it sounds like ass, all right. Just like his comics. Ayo! <laughs> Welcome back to Midnight Grappler, Animal's home of Flub Nation. I'm your host, Lan, and with me I have a man who may or may not be wanted by the IRA, Salt M. Bank. Salt, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. I just took a selfie with Joe Biden, so I'm trying to get back in the IRA's good graces, you know? Oh, nice. Did you see uh, what he came out to the other night? Yeah, or... <laughs> that was so funny. <laughs> Oh, uh, the so only thing I could think was like, does he know what this song is? <laughs> I listened to it, and the first thing I could think of was Boondock Saints. Yeah, yeah, it was in a Departed, right? I think it was in Departed. Yeah, but you're right. We are so back. Provo Joe is back. <laughs> yeah, this is uh this is, we got a cultural one for our dear readers today, right? Yeah, yeah. We we're actually making a former episode into a series. You know, uh, a lot of people liked our uh, Grant Morrison, What Were They Thinking episode, so we figured we'd turn it into a nice little series. This time, we're talking about uh, a man I didn't even know was Irish until like 30 minutes ago, uh, Sean Gordon Murphy. Uh, and this time, we're talking about his two seminal works, if you will, Punk Rock Jesus and Batman, White Knight. Yeah, we gave Kill Your Boyfriend a hard time for how it was depicting counterculture in this corny way. But, you know, this much I can say for Grant Morrison, at least they actually played in a punk rock band. Then in Venama, sorry, then in Vimanarama, there's your there club, club heads, we showed how Grant was uh, caught slipping in their understanding of the lives of Southeast Asian immigrants. So as we look into what makes punk rock Jesus tick, we'll see how Sean Murphy combines the worst of both worlds. How crazy-ass white boys can even appropriate and misunderstand cultures they should be comfortable with, like the punk scene. And as for Batman White Knight, well, that's a whole other can of worms or bats. You ready to dig into punk rock Jesus? But before we do that, I just want to shout out the fact that we have a Patreon. That's right, this is a Patreon-funded show now. 
Uh, Flub Nation is growing financially and economically. Sooner or later, we're going to have a GDP even. So if you want to get in on that, go to patreon.com slash midnightgrapplerannimals to get in on the action. If you get... Let me... (laughs) There's another flub for you. If you get in at the $5 tier, you actually get a bonus episode between episodes of the main show, which means it's basically a weekly show for you. So, I mean, if you want if you want more of us, I think you should join the Patreon. Yeah, and we're but not even now, editing out those or, flubs because, like, we, oh, we yeah. know what you're here for. So let's, uh, let's get into it. I want to talk prior familiarity with Sean Gordon Murphy. Yes. So I knew him mostly from one book. I had read Joe the Barbarian. Our fave, Grant Morrison, why. wrote it. <laughs> That's why, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Sean was, was doing the arts. Um, I liked it quite a bit back then, and I, I hate to say this, but if I read it again now, I, I might even still kind of like it. Um, but yeah, I, I think what I really liked about it then was the association with the Grant Morrison style and then Sean's uh, manga inking influence. I did not keep up with much of Sean's work after that because I was kind of falling out of comics until I learned a bit about his online presence. Uh, but we can get into that later. What was your familiarity with Sean Murphy like? Uh, so for me, I think I started with Tokyo Ghost, which he did with Rick Remender. Um, I did read Joe the Barbarian later on, um, but like between those two, I had no major Sean Murphy experience until I had the misfortune of reading White Knight in 2017, I want to say it was. Uh, and this is the first time I'm reading Punk Rock Jesus, so... What the show has done to my <laughs> my mental health. We're all having mental health here today. We should talk a little bit about this book's reception. This was a well-regarded, well-received book. I, this was this won the IGN Award for Best Comic Miniseries of 2012. And they're quoted on the trade paperback uh, with a blurb that says, Brilliant and heartbreaking, epic and emotional. I, it's weird because... You know, like, for as much as we are going to critique and lambast and whatever else, you know, Sean Murphy's work. Again, this this is one of those things where the online perception of Sean Murphy and the IRL, like, when I say IRL, I mean, like, when you go to a comic shop, you know, like, the people there you're talking to, it's a complete mismatch. You know, like, the people who in real life would probably like identity crisis Hmm. uh would probably like sean murphy books too so like i'm not per se i'm not surprised per se that you know like the book got as much praise as it did but i do think it's stupid that it got as much praise as it did also Sean was 32 years old when he wrote this. Just have that number in your mind, because we had that number in our last... What were they thinking? 32. What do you do? What's, what's, uh, what, do you, what do you do at 32? You know, like, what, what, what kind of things are you achieving in life at 32? You know, like, when you think about what the average 32-year-old human does, 
you know, like paying mortgages. I mean, in my economic bracket, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm not going to have a house Renting. probably here in San Francisco. Well, maybe yeah, I'm paying my apartment. Month, maybe he might have been paying mortgages. I don't maybe. Know. Sure. I'm, I'm thinking a lot about my job. Okay. I'm thinking about I'm thinking about my friends. That part is still kind of like being a high schooler, I guess. I am not thinking about high schoolers very much, though. Okay, that's good to know. And I say that. Yeah, and I say that as someone who works with high schoolers, I think that's probably why I had the revulsion I had to this book. I feel like if I read Punk Rock Jesus at 14, I probably would have liked it. But the good thing is I'm not 14 anymore, so I can go <laughs> into this with, with the critical lens that it deserves, which is a slight, a slight more mature uh analysis yeah i got one more note going into this that sean gordon murphy on his social media frequently refers to women as females <laughs> do you want to get into the the book sexual production and all the people doing sure. their stuff sure uh, my heart fucking sank seeing that todd klein lettered this oh not only uh, this but also white knight both books were him it, <laughs> Double whammy. It's like, what are you doing, my man? Yeah. We're going to have a lot to say about Sean's writing. Uh, but yeah, we definitely got to talk about his art. Like, if you like it or you hate it, it is distinct. Like, you know that you're looking mm. at Sean's art. Um, I, I don't hate it, even though I kind of want to hate it. There are absolutely parts that I do hate. But, like, there there's pages where I can see a, a, a skilled draftsman. But what, what do you, what's your take on that, man? I think I'm more or less on the same page, but the funny thing for me is like Sean's not on Twitter anymore, but he is on Instagram and on Instagram, mm -hmm. he does like to make a point of being like the comics car guy. Like this is a, something that he calls himself on, on Instagram and my overall take on the vehicles in both these books really is that they're not. I don't think he deserves a name. That, that's, that's the best way I can put it. I just don't think he should not be the comics car guy. Someone else should come and swipe that name because maybe a guy who's not relying on SketchUp so much. Yeah, I mean, he even he even admits it, like in the back pages of the deluxe edition for Punk Rock Jesus, which somehow we both ended up doing this time. I don't know why we didn't go for the usual re-comic online issue by issue approach we just needed more punk rock jesus in our life um yeah i do i have two art criticisms um for me it it's his one thing that really stands out is the uh the acting gets really stiff during the dialogue he's got kind of like two faces he'll do there's like concerned and then there's now we're yelling and that's pretty much his two 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 choices, the, the good old yeah, two standbys. Yeah, you might get a little bit of crying, but you know, there's not a lot of um, subtlety or nuance. It doesn't. It, it's someone online was saying that it's it's very much like video game dialogue cutscenes with how the characters act and emote, and that's yeah, all I like could see. Yeah, they're being in a way, you know, yeah, like right? Very large expressions. In in a way, it's almost you know like theatrical in a way that maybe he should collab with Tynan at one point or another. 
<laughs> I feel like the theatricality of his his art definitely melds well there. Also, I don't like the way he draws kids. They all look like disgusting oh, yeah. little goblins. Beady eyed little fucking if if I saw one of the kids Sean Murphy drew in front of me, I would not hesitate to punt that bitch. My <laughs> goodness, these kids are disgusting, ugly. Well, we're going to get into the book itself. We're going to re I, I do kind of want to recap this one by some of the more important plot points um just okay. to kind of establish some of the insanity. All right, so this book opens in this Irish house. The mom and dad are like, son, go in the closet. If anyone comes out, you or anyone comes in, you don't hesitate, pull the trigger. This we is realize, in 1987, too. Right. It's established yeah, yeah. as a flashback. There's a commotion outside. The, hunt, the son is in the closet. The mom and dad are shot. And then the, the son hears like some staggering steps. The son is like, oh, someone's coming to the closet. I'm going to shoot. He shoots the gun, door opens, and the page reveals that the son seems to have shot his own wounded father by accident. Oopsie daisy. Then, well, oopsie poopsie, you know, who amongst us? Um, Then the uncle suddenly shows up on the scene. And, like, this has always been a pro-spoiler podcast. Uh, it's it's revealed much later in the book that the the uncle like was actually responsible for putting the hit out on the mom and the dad. You know, it wasn't like just the Protestants. Um, but like, what's crazy is I I read this a second time, and he gives that plot twist away on that second or third page. Just the uncle just executing the dad in cold blood. Yeah, I think he plays it, it off, like, initially he plays it off as this sort of, like, mercy kill. You know, like, oh, I'm putting him out of his misery. And right. we're supposed to sort of roll with that. Uh, but then, it's, you know, like, it's a really brutal way to do a mercy kill. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm, I'm doing a mercy kill on my bro. Bang! Just <laughs> head blown to shreds. Right. <laughs> Sorry, bro. So, like, three things should stand out to you uh, right away. There's no punk rock here. (laughs) I was surprised to be opening with that. Um, We've got clunky storytelling, and we've also got a questionable look at the Troubles. So all three of those ideas will carry with us throughout this story. So we cut to present day. There's this awkward transition showing that this boy has grown up. He's now this really badass, handsome motorcycle riding guy. And then we, we cut to somewhere else, and suddenly we're on an island, and there's so much plot happening. So much plot happening. There's a fucking uh, reality TV network. They're announcing that they're going to clone Jesus. And then the doctor assisting with that is a Jewish woman named Dr. Epstein. She's trying to, like, make algae happen to to save the, the environment. She's going to make, like, super environment-protecting algae. But she's got to clone Jesus to, to make this happen, to secure the funding. This book is a mess. It's just ideas. It's ideas and ideas and ideas. None of the ideas actually make any real sense under, you know, minute scr- scrutiny. We're, we're introduced person by person to our, our cast members on this island. We have our doctor, 
we have our surrogate mother, we have the the reality TV CEO, uh, Aaron Eckhart, or modeled on Aaron Eckhart for reasons. Um, we have a, a tech guy, uh, he's a black guy, that's, that's going to matter. And then we have our security, our head of security. And I, I, he, in the book he's called Thomas McHale, but I was calling him the not Punisher for a while, because he's basically the Punisher. I was actually calling him the Boondock Saint, singular. <laughs> yeah, all the characters talk like Boondock Saints in the, the Ireland flashbacks. Yeah, except with none of the camp and like none of the charm or anything. We're, we're going to talk about this Irish guy later. I want to talk about the, the surrogate mom and the tech guy. So there is a note made that the the mom has had her like appearance altered by the the, the reality TV CEO. They they explicitly mentioned that she's gotten like breast implants. Like I know what he was going for. Like again, he he was trying to push the whole reality TV angle. But at the same time, it just doesn't work. None of it makes sense. I think it really doesn't work in a visual medium like this. Like, a lot of the conflict in Sean's writing is, you know, he's a decent enough artist and he can lay out a page well enough, but he writes his stories like a novelist. And yeah. that character would work more in a novel for me because I wouldn't have to see an 18-year-old with implants on, like, almost every page. So, like, it's weird because it feels like he's given this character implants, and now he's got to draw this 18-year-old with implants on every page she's in. That, that comes up more later. Sean's inability to write women. The other character I was going to mention was our tech guy. <laughs> Just... I kind of mm. started looking forward to seeing him on every page just to know really? what Sean was you know, oh. just because I knew what, what kind of hits Sean was going to be playing. It, it was right. a Sean say the line part, you know? Yeah. <laughs> do you, do you want to read this line as our resident brown uh, person on the pod? This is like after she gets impregnated and this is the passing remark from him. And he says, damn girl. What you being all knocked up and shit? Every line of dialogue is is like that. And what's really wild with that guy is like in Sean's notes, he says something to the effect of, "I didn't just want to write a uh, like a, a sassy black guy or something." And it is the most stereotypical sassy black guy possible. Yeah, and again, we'll see this again in White Knight. He only knows how to write one type of black guy. It seems like I I don't know if there is some mythical second black guy that Sean Murphy has somehow learned to write in the years since, but like in the two it. books we've read, he's written the same guy with two different uh, homunculi, if you will, <laughs> for for his black characters. That's exactly what it is. There's a lot of stuff that happens. Uh, we'll include a lot of this in the show notes, which you can get for just a dollar a month. You see what I did there, Lan? Oh, there we go. For this reality show, uh, the the Jesus clone is born. They call him Chris. Now, this is where the book goes even more off the rails. Like, Sean does not get how reality TV works. Like, in this story, the the this reality show is referenced as being the most popular reality show in the world. 
and like I I could not buy that. No. What what, what about you? I it just doesn't seem like enough of a reality TV show even behind the scenes. Like I get that they I, weren't wanted to, you know, I get that he wanted to show you know, like a peek behind the curtains just to see what they were doing to make things like the the wine turn or the water turning into what was it fruit juice? Yeah, fruit juice turning into yes. wine. You know, like all the the little bullshit here and there. None of it actually feels like a real reality TV show. It feels like Sean Murphy's preconception of what a reality TV show would be like. And again, this is written in 2011. So this is like peak Bachelor, Bachelorette era. There's a lot, like even Big Brother, right? So there's a lot that you could have done, especially with the Big Brother stuff. You know, like I saw none of that in in the way that the reality TV aspects of this were written. It strikes me as kind of snobbish. Like as we'll see throughout this book, Sean is kind mm-hmm. of an epic science guy, and I feel like he was kind of like he was more than poking fun. He's like, oh, this is what the dumb masses watch, and like. Sean doesn't understand the appeal of reality TV. I say this to someone who, who watches a lot of really stupid reality TV. Th- things are happening. So much plot is happening. Um, still no punk rock. Still no punk still, rock. Still no punk rock. And we're about a third through the book at this point. And there is yeah. a distinct lack. There is reference to some punk bands. Some punk bands that I was listening to when I was a teenager. But no, no... No one playing punk, no one going to punk shows, nothing nothing like that. But uh, yeah, as Chris grows up and he gets into high school, um, his mom's life is kind of deteriorating. She's like kind of losing her mind being on this island. There's like Christian wackos going after them. And uh, we see Chris going to prom. Uh, another excuse for Sean to draw a big titty high schooler. Um, but again, the optics of that are mm, like when you also consider what's going on with the plot at the time, because the whole thing with the plot is Chris wanted to go to prom with a black girl and then J2, which is the name of the project, um, or Ophis is the company, J2 is the uh. anyways, the people at J2 were like, uh, we got to switch them out, you know, for, for the optics and they switch them out with switch out the black girl for, yeah, a very busty high schooler. Yeah. Yeah. Some of Sean's manga influences are uh, not just in line quality as you'll see. Um, but as the life is deteriorating for these people on the Island, uh, Sean's mom, not Sean's mom, Chris's mom, like, kind of is mounting these escalating rebellion plans. And this book elicited a genuine laugh out loud moment from me when she was trying to escape and the doors crushed her. Like yeah, it, was it was just, yeah, this was like during like when she, cause she gets rejected from the Island at one point because I think she, I think she tries to kill herself. Is that what it is? She tries a couple or, of times. There's like, yeah, she tries a couple there's of times, an angel. That like, yeah. Yeah, she gets, you know, like, saved again. She becomes, like, a born-again Christian. A Christian right. who also is a born-again Christian. She joins it, the fundamentalist wackos, and she storms the island, and then that's... She's, like, trying to get into the room with Chris, and then she gets crushed in... Like, she gets vivisected <laughs> by some mechanical doors. 
it's just so stupid and doesn't fit with the tone of the book and like it's it's just sean like has no idea how to stay within a tone like that would be really cool for like a horror book you know or like and that's a comedic kind of what book. it is like i feel like these are ticks that he wanted to write in a book you know like and i'll get into this more with the with the white knight stuff but like there are cases where sean just wants to do a thing doesn't matter if it fits within the plot doesn't matter if it's like a whole other tone to what's going on if he wants to draw it he'll just do it which in some cases could be cool but then you get shit like you know her her getting <laughs> squashed at the at the waist by two doors like it, it it feels like a 2000s, like a Final Destination death in a way. Right, it doesn't, and it's it's meant to be like motivating Chris, right? Like it just, yeah. it just doesn't work. Um, so there's two big points that I, I mainly want to cover here that we've, you know, we've established our background. One weird thing you notice reading this book is it's it's sort of two stories in one. There's a flashback like in the very beginning with this uh, period of the troubles in Ireland and that takes place over several years as Thomas the bodyguard grows and is taken into the IRA and then there's the life in the modern era with Chris eventually somehow becoming punk rock Jesus you're halfway through the book and he's still not punk rock but still you know you hold on yep. right He's not but I want to go a little bit. Nor is he Jesus. You know, like he tries to <laughs> He's not stray away from the, the whole Jesus thing for a while, too. I want to go a little bit into the IRA. So we, we get an info dump when Thomas is a young man and he's, uh, he's, you know, he's taken under his uncle's wing like this mentor. And it's a really odd line from the uncle, you know, the one who is revealed later to have killed Thomas's parents himself. He calls the IRA a terrorist group. And like that, that just. I had no faith in the book well before that, but that I think really showed Sean laying his cards on the table. Like Sean clearly dis disapproves of the IRA, but having a member of the IRA call the IRA terrorists is just like, that's such a bozo way to write that dialogue. He doesn't want to downplay, like he doesn't want to make it Thomas seem like a heroic character, right? He doesn't want to make the IRA sort of be like the, the good guys per se in this book but he just swings so broadly in the other way right like we see that more with the uncle also calling their procuring of one guns smuggling like again you don't need to approve of the ira when you're writing them but you need to be like smart enough and empathic enough to understand as a writer if you're writing a member of the ira he wouldn't call it smuggling or he likely wouldn't, or he would call it smuggling jokingly, right? So it's just, it really tells us like a lot about Sean's mind and like how Sean might think about oppressed peoples. And like I said with the IRA, I'm not, I'm not here to condone or critique the IRA. And that's not to be any sort of centrist. I just don't really know enough about them. I've done a little bit of research into Sinn Fein, but you know, it's speaking of that that really shows like Sean's limitations. Like the Irish struggle depicted in this book is limited to the IRA. He's not talking about Sinn Féin. He's not talking about other peaceful movements that are resisting the British. He portrays it in the 
like <clears throat> he almost adds more moral complexity than you need. Like he he doesn't portray the British as the bad guys in this situation. Like yeah, Thomas goes on and like works in like the British Navy SEALs later, and it's it's portrayed as like almost uh, a redemptive arc for him. Very fucking weird. Yeah, it really does feel like him repenting for his time in the IRA. Which, again, it's the kind of thing that makes me, like, pull back from the story and be like, okay, what does this have to do? <laughs> just, like, what does this have to do with the story? You know, like, it just, right. it, it really feels like he wanted to go on a tangent where he's like, okay, I want to say this about the IRA. But at the same time, there's no, like, good reason for it to be there. Like, the, the, the him being in the British Navy... Or, it just doesn't do anything for the story. If if you start from the assumption that like, oh, Sean kind of wanted to do his own sort of Punisher type character, then it makes more sense because like, oh, I can sort of see that as an origin story. Sure, but right? I mean, that's the thing is like, is this story about Thomas? Is the story about Chris? Is like the parallels between them? He doesn't do much with the parallels. I thought that would like no, come up at the doesn't. end. Right? Like it's, a lot of it just boils down to him lambasting Chris for, uh, you know, like, being radical. I want to say one more thing about the, the IRA here. You know, he goes out of his way to mention twice how Libya is funding the IRA and, like, helping them procure arms. At the time he was writing this book, I think that research would imply that Gaddafi's regime was helping with that. And that's a particularly... A resonant bit for me because you know we're we're seeing two marginalized communities, two oppressed peoples showing some form of solidarity, whether or not you agree with how they're doing it. They they are doing that, and it makes you wonder, like, okay, well, the Libyans who primarily identify as an Arab people, will will Sean have anything to say about Arab people at the end? And guess what? He does have stuff to say about oh Arab people later in this book. Oh boy, does Sean have things to say? So we flash forward, or it just it kind of keeps flashing forward, and yeah, eventually... like there's no real indication of how much time is passing. You know, like you'll get some dates here and there. You, you know, it's like oh, it's 2030. Oh, it's 2022. But like none of it's conveyed well because the only character that actually like physically changes in that time is Chris. Everyone else more or less looks the same. That's true. Chris yeah, is he the just only gets... one that actually changes. He doesn't bother to change the other character designs with age. So that's our most of our IRA notes and our, our Irish commentary, but I wanted to do this book initially because I don't see punk talked about in comics very much. And I thought, okay, this is going to be a book about punk. Well, we kept saying, like, when does the punk show up in this book? I'm not exaggerating that you need to get nearly two-thirds into this book before yeah. anything resembling the punk scene shows up. Not a single, like, even if, again, that, when you get to that mark, it's explicitly punk. There's nothing even implicitly punk before that. But it just goes from zero to 100 at, like, the fourth issue. Right, he's like, oh yeah, I guess I better work in the punk stuff now. We we get a punk show, and, you know, it's it's a very sort of stereotypical depiction. Like, a lot of people with mohawks, a lot of people studs in their jackets. 
Um, but, you know, I suspected going into this, Sean wouldn't have much of a clue of what the punk scene was like. Because the first time we see this band, the very first thing they say is, oh, our old guy, our, our like old lead singer, he buzzed off. We need a new front man. Who wants to lead our band? <laughs> like, it, it was something like out of, out of an anime or something. Like, that idea might be. You know be what able it is? It's work. a Disney Channel original movie. You know, like, Punk Rock Jesus is something that Disney would have put on the Disney Channel. Obviously, PG, PG, but, you know, like, the band is missing a lead member. You know, who's going to replace us? Oh, my God. It's Clone Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly Uh, how it plays out. It's awful. And who are the other members of this band? Well, there's a guy. I can't do this with a straight face. There's a guy named Tape. He's he's described as a half Asian runaway. I mean, like, it looks like he took like uh, Avatar or something. It was like, oh, mm. put that in a punk band. Um, and then uh, there's a guy named Henny. He's a black guy. I thought he was like naming him after Hennessy. But then there's this line that goes, "He's the Jimi Hendrix of drumming." Famous punk rocker Jimi Hendrix. Uh, there's a chick too, but like, she just dies later. That she doesn't really have anything to do. None of them have anything to do. He doesn't Rabbit. give a shit about the people. Rabbit, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't give a shit about any of the people in the punk band. You know, the most we see is like some images, some splashes of them jamming on their instruments, and it's, it's okay. Um, Sean, when when Chris joins the band, he has this like really epic bacon moment of like, <laughs> oh, you want to know what I would say in a punk band? Jesus says, "Fuck you, America!" <laughs> and like the lights are like a cross behind him. So let's talk about the the song titles, because this this band, the Flak Jackets, they they got an album. And so why don't you recite the titles of some of the songs on this wonderful little punk album? As your fictional forefathers, we've got The Church of the White House. We've got, so yeah, there's one called Republican Nonsense. And, there's a, and the last one, my personal favorite, is Science Will Save Us, parentheses, because there's no man in the sky, close parentheses. Okay, you know that one is definitely a fallout boy, <laughs> like a rejection. Sounds like a banger, man. I, let's, yeah, I'd love to hear that song. It's just really fucking lame that Sean does not understand and does not seek to understand the punk scene. Like in in high school, I don't want to be like I was one of the punks. Like I I was a fucking dork too, and I I did other stuff. But like I have a lot of friends in the punk scene, and I went to a lot of punk shows in high school like in in my high school a lot of the punk skewed more towards ska but there's overlap there there's overlap between some ska and some punk and then some punk and some hardcore and i would go to those shows too and you know they all kind of had their own vibe but like what's really key there is you know there wasn't like a lot of gatekeeping like anyone could go your friends go into that it's like five dollars you can go to a show you might be able to get some beer before you're 21. Like, it was, it was a good time. And sometimes it had a message. Sometimes it, it didn't, you know? There, there was definitely... There is a lot of political punk out there. But there's a lot of fucking punk songs about wanting to get a six-pack. And just, like, 
it's, it breaks my fucking brain that like Sean can't comprehend any sort of complexity or nuance to that, which which gets even crazier when in his notes he talks about, oh yeah, like the way I wrote Chris was kind of the the way I would hear Henry Rollins. Like you know, I listened to all this Henry Rollins, and like I thought about that. I was like, I didn't, you know, I listened to a good deal of punk in high school. But I didn't listen to like a lot of Rollins stuff and Black Flag or other bands, and so I, I looked up some of it. And like one of the first images I find is the the cover to an EP they did, or maybe it's an LP, but it's called a Police Story, and it's great. There's a guy holding a pistol. He shoved it into a cop's mouth, and he says, "Make me come, Esler." Like there is more punk rock energy in that one image than in this entire book and i think you know this the the black flag album cover actually just boils down why (laughs) none of it works is that like sean murphy just loves cops too much to actually be punk right i I think he just loves authority and cops and the establishment just way too much to be a punk is there Anything else you want to do with plot in this book? Well, I mean, it ends with a huge standoff in which uh, Chris, our our Jesus clone, ends up dying after being shot down in a helicopter. Uh, And then it's revealed that one of the... So earlier on, we, we find that Dr. Epstein has also had a child alongside Gwen. Or, like, shortly after Gwen, whatever. And that child, Rebecca, is, like, raised alongside Chris, right? So they're basically treating each other like brother-sister. Turns out they actually are brother and sister, because when Chris was born, they... So, the whole, like, conceit is that they got the tr- the Shrine of Turin, or the Shroud of Turin, to, to like, get Jesus' DNA to clone. But, you know, Dr. Epstein, being the skeptical scientist she was, you know, like, questioned it, and some some bullshit, one led to the other, and Chris was born as a twin to Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca was taken by Slate and thrown off a dock, and then Dr. Epstein went and saved Rebecca and then raised her pretty much as her own her own daughter and then you know like after chris dies they get that reveal and then you know like thomas is all angry who, who gives a shit about what thomas thinks but we, we get then get the reveal that rebecca might actually have jesus powers because you know like before throwing her off a dock slate gave her a bunch like a, a shit ton of drugs yeah like he ejects like a, a the lethal baby injection yeah yeah, which is, I feel like that's overkill, you know? Like, you're already drowning the baby. I don't think you need to drug the baby <laughs> before drowning it. Famously resilient um, babies. But yeah, she's somehow famously resilient. <laughs> well, in this case, literally famously resilient. Uh, because she survived, she has uh, parent Jesus powers, and the, the story just kind of just ends on Thomas finding this out and then killing Slate. Yep. And the story just ends ends there that reminded me i thought we were going to talk about tel aviv which we have to talk about oh so yeah yeah so we almost skipped that so before all that happens 
<clears throat> you know, we, we get this very stereotypical, not even a montage, just like uh, exp- exposition that Thomas's band is like fucking huge. Never mind the economics of like how there's only one punk band in the world and all this blah, 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 blah. But anyways, they go and play in Tel Aviv. Like, they, they're not even fully set up on the stage before they're attacked by rockets. And who fires the rockets, of course, but, like, Arab Muslim extremists. Which then gives Sean permission to go off for, like, ten pages. Fucking Thomas just, like, mercilessly brutalizing all these these Muslims. But it's okay because it was 2011. It was 2011, and the world was more focused on 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 beating Libya. It, yes. it was a it was a symbolic victory. You know? I want to mention. So this was a Vertigo book, uh, in case you didn't know already. And as a result of that, Karen Berger was one of the editors on this book. And in the afterward, Sean mentions that. Karen helped him develop the female character. He specifically says female characters. It's really sticking to his guns with the whole female thing. Develop his female characters better. And I just thought, oh my god. If this is what, you know, the female characters in this book are like after Karen Berger's touch, I'm genuinely scared to know what they were like before Karen Berger edited this book um yeah i've got one more note and it's just about like sean's claims as to how this book was conceived of in the first place he has a lot of artwork of thomas you know trying to come up with the very inevitably forgettable design he comes up with but he comes right out and says that like years before he started this, he had this idea kicking around in his head of like an ex-IRA member and like how he could turn that into a comic. He talks about how he could never really get it off the ground. Then according to him, Sean reads this news story about the potentials for human cloning. And he says, first place his brain goes is, well, you know who they would clone first is Jesus. So then, you know, it kind of all uh, snowballs from there. He's like, oh, what if, what if there was a Jesus clone? And then, oh, I, I, he could be on this island for LBTV. And, oh, I could work in my old IRA guy story. So that's how he claims it, it comes to be. If you look further into this, I, I was just on Wikipedia. The, the Wikipedia page talks about how there's other stories that have done this, this the story of a Christ clone. And one I found really fascinating was from 1998, and this is called the Christ Clone Trilogy. It's written by the incredibly spooked-up author, NSA, and DIA analyst James Beausignor. There are striking... We love, we love spooks on this. <laughs> we, we, we sure do love our, our government officials in this podcast. But there's some strikingly similar plot points in both of these books. Like, Lan had mentioned the DNA for Jesus coming from the Shroud of Turin. And then our Jesus clone is named Chris. Both of those are in this book, published more than 10 years prior. To summarize, I just put this down and thought, damn, this is just epic South Park politics. This is, this is that Ricky Gervais picture where he wrote the word atheist in lipstick across his chest. That is this in comic book form. 
For me, this book tackles three major topics. Organized religion, fanaticism, radicalization, terrorism, all that. And then reality TV. And it does not tackle any of them well. It It, it is borderline schizophrenic <laughs> in what it wants to say. But you know what, Salt? At the end of the day, punk rock Jesus, for as bad as it was, it sure wasn't Batman White Knight. <laughs> you know, what I am really impressed by is the fact that you had to read Batman White Knight twice. Is it twice now? I feel like I re read it another time in between my first read-through and this one, but uh, I'd rather not think about that. Yeah. Hey, here's the thing, dude. I had so many thoughts about punk rock Jesus. And anytime you heard me mm. kind of stumbling or pausing in my words, it's because that book, as you said, feels so schizophrenic. I, I have nowhere near the coherence on this book. This book was maybe even more brain-breaking for me. This one, I feel like for me, going back to it a second slash maybe third time, has solidified a lot of my thoughts about it. I kind of want to talk about like how he got here, because... Punk Rock Jesus was 2011 to 2012. There's like five years in between that and, and, and this. Much like Punk Rock Jesus, it was a critical success. And this time, it was not just a critical success. It was a fucking financial success, too. I'm talking top of Diamond's bestsellers lists, second printings, third printings, the whole nine yards, you know, like... Genuinely, if you want to get Joker-fied, <laughs> Joker-fied reading how financially and critically popular this series will, perfect way to get Joker-fied. Um, speaking of which, he did an interview in 2018 with Paste. I think this was like right before he was getting into his Curse of the White Knight stuff. Um, I'll be Paste here. Okay. What started you on the idea of a Joker rehabilitation tale? Do you remember the moment when you thought, hey, maybe the clown prince of crime could turn it all around? To which Sean Murphy says, I think I was 12 years old when I first started to put this story together. I remember watching Batman the Animated Series and thinking, you know, the Joker would be a lot more threatening if you could just stop acting crazy and get his shit together. That's what Joker fight means. <laughs> That's that is everything that does not work about this book. It's it's Sean thinking, oh, the Joker just needs to get his shit together, and and then it's Sean. Yeah, the Joker needs to be normal. <laughs> He's just be a normal guy. Yeah, what if he was just a guy? You know, like what if the Joker was just some dude? <laughs> and he is just a dude in this book. He's no longer the Joker. He's just just a guy. And then the other thing is. I, I could tell this was something he came up with when he was 12. Like, reading, you're like, damn, this is a piece of shit. Yeah. This is something a kid would think is cool. Like, when you said, would you like punk rock Jesus as a high schooler? I probably would have at a really young age, but older in high school, getting into punk rock, I wouldn't have liked it. This, I would not have liked this. This, this... This flies in the face of what I enjoy about superhero comics. See, that's the point I want to make, is I feel like this is a perfect comic for people who don't read comics. You know, if you've never read a Batman comic before, if you've only somehow engaged with Batman through movies and TV shows, I feel like this is a, a 
I can see why people would. Get oh, into so it. someone who's only engaged with Batman through TV shows and movies, like someone like Sean Gordon Murphy, perhaps. I just reading this, like Sean has not read comics. Again, this is a guy with over a decade, like over a decade of experience in the comics industry, and yet when I read his shit, it feels like a a, a guy who previously worked in hollywood trying to come in and write a comic another weakness sean has that we'll see in batman white knight is he clogs his pages with dialogue which which then makes the points he's trying to make less salient well he was or maybe still is a guy who was trying to break into video games and i see the video game stuff maybe even more man like, as a concept artist, I can definitely see a career for, for Sean Murphy. And maybe there is, like, a, a prime universe, you know, like a, a good universe, a just universe, where he actually is a concept artist making bank as a concept artist, you know, not plaguing the fucking shelves with Murphyverse books. Can we just get into that for a sec? The... So he calls this series of books, not even the White Knight universe, because despite the fact that every single title in this universe has White Knight in it, he wants to call it the Murphyverse. But this Murphyverse was launched with this book, and the whole point was he wanted other creative teams to participate and add to this universe. And these were creators that he personally would hand select. Uh, and he would, you know, he would deem the best of the best to to handle this. And so in order to to stay in line with that, he laid out six rules for all writers and illustrators to follow when when creating series for the Murphyverse. Uh, the first rule is any character that dies cannot be revived. The second one is no internal monologues. So you already know that Tom Taylor is not going to make it into the Murphyverse. Rule three, no series can be rushed, whatever the fuck that means. I'm going to skip point four because I want to get back to that last. So point five is there must be at least one vehicle such as the Batmobile in each comic. Fucking nerd. Fucking video game ass logic. Yeah, fucking video game nerd. Point six, no series may cross over with one another despite taking place in the same shared universe. It doesn't mean anything. They're all crossovers already. Stupid. It's stupid. That's what it is. It's stupid. So point four is what I wanted to get into because point four is the most simpering dog whistling shit that I've ever read. It's authors of the books must have as their primary focus the goal of pleasing their readers. Like, first off, that is... Well, I prefer comics where they're not trying to please their readers. I prefer comics where they're actively trying to shit on their readers. That's why I... That's why I enjoy <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> so the first thing is, with this point, it, it is a comic skate dog whistle. Because that's, like, the whole thing with comic skates. Like, oh, we, got, we, want, to make, we want to make comics that, that appeal to the fans, you know? We, can, we don't want to... We want to make sure that the fans are, are like our comics it's so stupid and it always leads to the lamest just non-provocative boring rote shit that's ever been laid out on comic pages so to lead an entire universe with that there have been 
of multiple Murphy verse books, by which I mean there's only been four and one one shot uh, in the now six years since the Murphy verse started. Uh, and you're wondering, oh, have there been other creators? Yeah, uh, Sean Murphy's partner, Katana Collins. That's like the only other writer that he's he's entrusted the Murphy verse to. So we have White Knight, which is October 2017 to May 2018. There's a sequel, Curse of the White Knight, from July 2019 to March 2020. During that time, there's a one-shot. Uh, White Knight presents Vaughn Freeze. Uh, and then you have another spin-off, which is written by Katana Collins. Batman White Knight presents Harley Quinn, which runs from 2020 to 2021. Uh, and then... Very recently, I mean, as recently as this month, we're recording this in April of 2023, Batman Beyond the White Knight. And if you're wondering if that's a Batman Beyond story, yes, obviously, fucking, the the titles suck. <laughs> did we mention this man loves the animated series? Yeah, did we, yeah, sorry, did you get that point? I think, I think this guy likes the, the animated series. Murphy has only done two things for TC outside of his Vertigo stuff. The Murphyverse, and then two random issues of Catwoman in 2020, 2020 which he co-wrote with an on-and-off-again comic skater, uh, and he <laughs> he used it to bring back the shitty cocaine-themed villain Snowflame, which was like, I don't know if you were on Facebook at the time, uh, like, in the comics community specifically, but... It was a prime time for the most annoying people on Facebook to to lose their shit. Because Snowflame was like this. Yeah, this is a character that you think is hysterical when you're 15. Exactly, exactly. This is peak character that Facebook comic nerds would would fall for. Sean was fucking 37 when he started this. I just think that needs to be like put out there again 37 you're starting to think about you know like doing prostate exams you're starting to think yeah. about uh you know the prospect of your parents mortality uh maybe you're having kids i don't know in this economy what i wouldn't be doing at 37 is writing fucking batman white knight <laughs> yeah so i suggest you don't read this book and i don't want to really recap this book because i feel like you could recap it in, in three sentences. Joker goes good. Batman's a fucking idiot. Every character that you've ever loved is now a cop. Harley Quinn is a bimbo. That's all you need. Going into this, Sean Murphy lists his influences for White Knight as 10% Burton, 10% Nolan, 10% Miller, and 70% Hmm. What could it, what could it, wait, 70? wait, I think I got it. Oh, what, what is it? Is it something by Paul Dini and Bruce Tim? Is it Batman the Animated Series? Ding, 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 ding. There we go. Yeah, 70% influenced by Batman the Animated Series. So in my notes, I've written down like the synopsis for this book as flowers for Algernon Joker style. <laughs> yeah that's what it is that's that's pretty much what this book is it's like what if joker went normal and took on the establishment fuck so can i talk about that for a second go ahead it it, it reads like a 
poor retread of like Harvey Dent going good stories. Yeah. But the thing that works in those stories is pre-accident, Harvey Dent is already a public servant. So for Harvey Dent to go good... And a good one at that. Yeah, for him to go good again and then, you know, be like, you know, a righteous guy or a guy trying to do the right thing makes sense. And there's actual conflict there. Like, I'm pretty sure that happens in Dark Knight Returns. Like, it, it's, again, something that's been done well already. The thing about the Joker going good is, again, it's just, it's Sean doing too many ideas at once. It's like, okay, I can accept him losing the mental illness, even though that's the only part of the character that really matters. But, all right, who is he underneath that? I would think maybe he would want to get into comedy or TV. It's too many leaps in logic to say, ah, the Joker has his sanity cured. Now he's going to become Beto O'Rourke. Like, it, it just doesn't... That, that's such a fucking jump. Yeah, he, he gets the pills. So the the premise is that he gets on these pills, he becomes a quirked-up white boy, and he's like, all right, let me prove to you that I'm not the Joker anymore by going against the government. You know, like, learning law and becoming a councilman. Right, he becomes a councilman who's like... He's going to represent, like, the the underserved black communities, but he's also going to supercharge the Gotham City Police Department, who is openly on bad terms with the black people in this book. Another point I wanted to make was I feel like this book is prime for people on Twitter. You know, again, if you know my Twitter presence, you probably know about the comics discourse Ouroboros post that I made a while back. And one of the points on that Ouroboros of topics that comics Twitter and just Twitter in general love to keep relitigating is the whole, what if what if Bruce Wayne just stopped being Batman and just put his funds into investing in the city and in good infrastructure? It's just a comic made for those people. Except in this time, in this case, Bruce Wayne's a fucking idiot. So we have to give it to Joker to. To, to invest in the city except investing in the city in this case is super cops and uh, a library maybe i guess <laughs> sean is very much a joker guy mm-hmm. like i suspected that going in but like he, he is such a joker guy like you can tell he's really getting his shit off with the both the quote sane and quote insane joker monologues yeah, a lot of, like, he he's almost saying something about society without actually, like, going into the whole society bit. Alongside the story, we have these pundits at the Gotham Insider. And the entire time I'm thinking, these guys want to be in a Frank Miller comic so, so bad. It's like he was aping the punditry from The Dark Knight Returns, Strikes Again, whatever, right? But... He doesn't do it in a way that that feels realistic. Like in the notes, or I think it's in an interview where he says, you know, like I wanted to portray one of the pundits as a conservative and one of the pundits as a Democrat. And it just, it's toothless. I really like in those interviews where he pats himself on the back because he talks about like when readers read those scenes, he's like, wow, you made that conservative sound like such an asshole. And that's, like, how the progressive will read it. And then, like, the the conservative will, like, read it the opposite way. 
and then his conclusion is like yeah like i think it's this interesting way to to like spark dialogues in like a non-violent fashion <laughs> there's no like, dialogue I just, it's I hate just politics like, dork so much man you know, there is no dialogue this is for like fucking funko nerds it, it just feels like something where at the end of the day everyone can jerk themselves off by how good they feel reading this book i didn't feel good reading this book though lan i didn't feel good reading this book <laughs> Yeah, so this book was successful enough to warrant an academic reading guide done by Pop Culture Classroom. And it was a, a free academic reading guide that could be distributed to, I'm presuming, high school classes uh, to use uh, to use Batman White Knight as a reading tool or as like a curriculum for... I don't know, a literacy course, maybe. I, I wrote a whole article just shitting on this academic guide back in 2021, back when I was actually writing uh, comics crit, quote-unquote, uh, for Comfort Food Comics. I'll link it in the show notes if you want to read it. Go ahead and give my good pal Dave that click. Um, but it's crazy to think that, like, that's the influence it has, you know, like... If people see this as a teachable book when in reality there's nothing that should be taught from this book unless you're a fucking lunatic <laughs> you mean like joker's plan to give the cops a army of batmobiles doesn't doesn't translate to any useful political discourse <laughs> batman is written like shit in this book like when you're talking about the plausibility for a book like this to work. If you were taking the current Batman mainline books and we're trying to build this story into that, you, you just couldn't because Batman is actually a competent person in the mainline comics. He's, he's a competent person in the, the show too, which Sean Murphy, <laughs> as we know, loves. So how do we make Batman... Uh, an antagonizing force in this in this comic so we can prop joker up as the the hero uh making him a fucking idiot making him a sloppy brutal idiot like if if j jonah jones if j jonah jameson was in this universe and he had like his own threats and menace thing but for batman like this batman is written how j jonah jameson would portray him you know like Oh, he's leaving damage all over the roofs, and he's causing uh, body damage to bystanders. I can't do a J. Joan Jameson impression. That's a good flub. It's it's a strange counterpoint to then write Batman as like objectively dumb, but then Joker as like a, a fucking tactical genius. Like that's what where again like Sean is just a really stupid guy. Like. When you watch the cartoon, I always thought the point was that Joker was a megalomaniac who had massive plans to satisfy his ego. Not that he was any sort of genius tactician. And in this case, Batman is weirdly brutal in a way that makes no sense either. Like, he's not compelling Batman to root for nor against. And the reason why, again, the reasoning they give for Batman being so brutal is Alfred being on his deathbed, which, again, now that the mainline comics have done Alfred dying, just downplays 
this so much more because it's it's like okay you have to do some really large leaps in in logic and everything really for batman to be acting this way and there's a point in the book where joker or jack napier is showing that batman is evil by letting villains loose on the city the pro batman and the anti-batman logic just none of it works no, it, it doesn't work at all. And, like, he almost wants to write an evil Batman, which I would think is more interesting. Like, this sort of moral ambiguity does not suit itself well to a lot of these DC or Marvel characters. By trying to make Batman morally complex, he just makes him even more of a failure. So you don't want to see him succeed. He just He's just some jackass. But if you'd just gone for a fully evil Batman, that could have been kind of fun. Yeah, it wouldn't be deep, but it might be fun. I don't know. But it surely would have been better than what we got here with White Knight. The other thing I wanted to talk about with specifically the relationship between Joker and Batman here is that this is the most heterosexual take on the homoerotic nature between Batman and Joker's whole dynamic. It was itching in my mind on this read-through until I remembered what it reminded me of. Your favorite Martian, this fucking rip-off gorillas band, puts out the song called Unofficial Smithers Love Song about the character Smithers from Simpsons. You know, the whole song is just about how he's he's gay for Mr. Burns and... and I, <laughs> Reading Joker's dialogue in this just reminded me of that. Sean Murphy trying to twist this dynamic that Joker and Batman has got into like a gay thing, but it just doesn't work. It's not compelling. None of it. Like he makes him so gay that <laughs> he even rejects like a, a naked Harley Quinn to to plot how to which again is something that's done better in the animated yeah it's done series. better in the animated series it's done even better in the fucking lego batman movie which came out in the same year <laughs> as this book well i mean the thing about sean is he's very much like a memes guy like he he doesn't have a lot of independent thoughts when he does they're just bozo things like ah joker could get his shit together he just he's just kind of going with popular currents and like i think the joker and batman are gay for each other thing is the modern successor to batman and robin are gay for each other yeah i could see that yeah. he's just taking a thing that other people do but it doesn't do anything with it yeah exactly it's like appealing to common theories and fanfics and whatever online like even memes online like again with snowflame being such a huge meme in facebook comics communities of course he's going to fucking include him in a comic. So I, I can see why he would spring for the whole gay thing in the dynamic there. The next major point I want to make. Sean Murphy hates writing women. He sucks at writing women. He just does not know how to write women. I think that whoever gives him the opportunity or the platform to write women should be tried at The Hague. It's genuinely a, a hate crime every time he writes a woman in any of his books. What really stuck out to me here was when the one Harley meets the second Harley. There's two Harleys in this book for reasons. I never figured out why. But um, one of the Harleys meets the other Harleys. And, like, the first thing she does is start, like, insulting her tits. Like, that's just such a stupid straight guy way to write things. He's lambasting, like, faux feminism while espousing faux feminism like he's he's trying to 
like his whole thing is is trying to uh critique the new 52 era of harley quinn uh, you know, like, oh, she's just, she's just a bimbo, you know, like, she, she don't know a single thing, you're, 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 I guess, does she use brain dead at one point? I feel like she, she called her brain dead at one point. It's horrible. It's genuinely horrible. Like, again, even if you are a fan of, even if you're not a fan of the New 52 depiction of Harley Quinn, it's just a horrible way to treat that version of the character and to have this, like, previous again batman the animated series version uh of harley quinn come back and be like yes i'm the real harley quinn you know like i'm coming back to take my place and and then ironically much like how the joker becomes just some guy she just becomes some gal like he strips away all the interesting parts about these characters and he just makes them into these like boring suburban parents to be like she she and joker are so fucking boring once they're sane and like i just could not escape the fact that when they do start to show like some motivations or some some sparkle like anything in that territory they weren't those characters anymore they were new characters they they just felt like OCs. Yeah, the the romance just doesn't work. And then we find out near the end of the book that she was the one that made the drugs that made Joker sane. Such a stupid reveal. And, you know, because Batman's like, oh, why'd you do it? And she's like, oh, I did it for love. But no. The other thing I want to say was that the false Harley thing feels like a Rick and Morty-ass Dan Harmon plot. You know, like when Dan Harmon called season four of Community the gas leak years. This is like the gas leak year but for for Harley Quinn. So the other thing I wanted to mention was this other Harley Quinn who quickly loses that whole shtick and becomes Neo Joker. A Neo Joker sucks. Uh the origin story sucks. The the origin story has her like oh my god, it starts with her self-harming at work. That's right. And he like rescues her, I guess. Yeah, and then she I has like know. Stockholm syndrome. Well, he can't the weird thing is like he can't decide whether the Joker is like a bad guy or a morally conflicted guy. He's like trying to portray these these abusive relationships, but he doesn't portray abuse in a compelling way. Like he doesn't portray abuse as what it is. So you're left with these caricatures of, of these Harley Quinns, these yeah, Neo Joker sucks, her motivation sucks, and I guess the only reason she's here is to actually provide some actual conflict, because he realized that he can't actually do any conflict with Batman if he wants Batman to be redeemed by the end of it. Okay, so on the note of, of women that Sean Murphy writes like shit, uh, Batgirl. So in the Paste interview, he says that he hasn't forced any of his personal politics into the book, and he wants to instead write to appeal to both sides. And he says that his his take on Batgirl is indicative of his real-life politics. That's very telling. He says that he identifies with Batgirl as a, quote-unquote, as a moderate liberal trying to be a peacekeeper. What I got out of Batgirl was like, She's always freaking out and whining about other people's choices. And then, like, once it's time for the Gotham City PD to go, like, super fast, she's like, I'm hella down. (laughs) Like, that tells me so much. She has two extremes, which actually three extremes. One is talking like an ADHD Twitter nerd. 
the other extreme is sky stop fighting yeah i hate and that and the other extreme is man i i love cops any of your your favorite heroes there are now cops and actually that brings me to my next point the the robins in this story so what he did this time was he switched around the order of the robins like in the mainline comics it goes dick grayson jason todd tim drake damian wayne and then everyone else right but in this one it's jason todd who was the first robin and then dick who was his replacement and all the Jason Todd st- stuff sucks because it's pretty much just like the main mainline book stuff, you know, like where he gets beat to death. And in this case, he doesn't die, but he just disappears. Uh, and that I want to talk about because it's just a horrible sequel thread. Like it's just him putting it down like, oh, if this is successful, we might see what happens to Jason Todd after. And then everyone else is a cop. Dick becomes a cop. Barbara becomes a cop. Duke Thomas is a an adult he is a former Navy Special Forces lieutenant who is now living in Backport, which is the predominantly black neighborhood in this book. Um, he also becomes a cop. Renee Montoya well, is a cop. When they when they become cops, well, Renee was already a cop from the show. Yeah, she was but, already a cop. But, you know. but it's, it's, it's good you mentioned her because Renee and Duke and Nightwing and Batgirl and Bullock, I think, they become yeah, like Bullock. super cops. Like they get these special cop uniforms, and that that part was so fascinating to me because Murphy is praised a lot for his designs, and like I think his designs already kind of suck. There's no like memorable designs in this book to me. I think the thigh highs Batman looks like shit, but it's really telling that he takes Nightwing, puts him in a stupid jacket, and not like the jacket he wore in the books, but then like puts clunky vests and hats on characters like nightwing the hats are so goofy especially on batgirl but yeah he it's like these characters become more legitimate when they get their fucking like super cop outfits you know speaking of designs i want to say his batmobile sucks here the gto batmobile suck um genuinely some of the worst vehicle designs i've seen this man do except for the you know like obviously the the one time or the two times where the batmobile actually looks good is when he's drawing other batmobile designs he just wanted an excuse to draw batmobiles from stuff you know like from movies and and shows and shit right and it's really key here that all the batmobiles he's drawing are from like movies and cartoons like there's a lot of interesting batmobiles in the books it's not even like he needs to read up on you know a significant amount of batman just even one batman book you know, just just one. The other thing uh, in this book, we have Mister Freeze. Mister Freeze is revealed to be a son, the son of a, an Operation Paperclip Nazi. Uh, the Operation Paperclip Freeze family uh, are friends with the Waynes. That's it's a funny. I honestly found it funny. It's like, oh, Batman. <laughs> we're not doing enough to make him seem, you know, evil or antagonistic here. I guess we're just going to have to go for the nuclear option to make his family associated with Nazis. <laughs> uh, so we get that. And it and it amounts to nothing. Well, you know, the Waynes were uh, partying with the Dulleses. It, mm, yes. Where was uh, Thomas Wayne on 11-22-63? <laughs> nothing comes from it. You know, like, we get this reveal, and I think, like, a few people find out, but there's no, like, public 
repercussions of that relationship. I'm sure he explains, or I'm sure he explores it in future whatever's in the multiverse or mer fucking <laughs> stupid ass name fucking future white knight books fuck you sean it it leads nowhere and uh it sucks it's funny but it sucks actually let's mention the duke thomas thing because <laughs> black uh the way he writes black yeah characters. we're gonna include this in the notes but there's some uh, extreme hitler particles coming off here where uh, normal Joker and normal Harley are like walking around in backport to the black part of Gotham and they get threatened by a couple of black guys. Uh, Duke grabs one of the dudes by the do-rag. So just imagine that. And then he goes, Derek, Jamal, Crib, you ain't never heard of Jack Napier? <laughs> just like the fucking gall of Sean to not just do like Derek and Jamal, but to name a guy Crib, holy fuck, dude! Like like a black guy named Crib. That's so fucking racist. God damn, dude. I I don't know how that got past people. Like I honestly don't know how much editing went into this book. I can only imagine that it was a minimal amount, because no sane editor that. should yeah. have let that. I mean, there is so much bad stuff here with black people a lot of bad dialogue a lot of misunderstanding how black parts of cities even community organization right, just doesn't like, get it in like, the slightest <laughs> but i don't want to even touch that because it's just stupid and we got a little bit more than in the notes it's he just he's, he's such a dumb guy that's what <laughs> what i just want to get across he's maybe the dumbest writer we've covered yet like i hesitate to even call him a writer he's a content maker I do want to critique Sean the artist a little more. Um, I did find evidence of Sean swiping himself in the book. He he has these two figures of Batman on different pages where you know Batman is doing the Captain Morgan lunge and he's clearly like taken the same pencils and inked over it slightly differently. Again, it's lazy. And again, going back to what was it, rule three? No shit. No series can be rushed. Right. Like, what's up, Sean? Like, were you pressed for time, dude? What, what else? What's got? What's happening on? <laughs> yeah. Lord, you cutting corners, bud? What's going on there? <laughs> Next thing you're you're gonna tell me is that he's tracing over Batmobiles. What the fuck? <laughs> so I want to close off with a tweet he made uh, during the George Floyd protests in 2020, and this was shortly before he left Twitter. The tweet, as tweeted on June 2nd, 2020, goes, I want equality. I want more good cops. And I want bad cops to be held accountable when they break the law. I want people to be allowed to protest peacefully. And I want to, <laughs> and I want the looting to end. The solution to these problems isn't more crime. Fuck you, Sean. It isn't more cops either. Speaking of cops, we got Sean's love of cops one more time. We got a little bonus comic for you. And again, we'll include this in our notes. But um, this is a comic Sean drew in college. So, you know, 20, 21, he's probably thereabouts. It's, it's a comic he drew for his 
then girlfriend who became his wife uh, Katana Collins who's writing Batman White Knight Generation Joker uh, really hate hate saying those titles but uh, he goes I don't know why it happened or how it came to be that someone always smiling would like someone like me so we're getting some excellent poetry out of the gate there and you know he's drawing pictures of her and him and their distinctive personalities he said it's great how she can take a joke she'll giggle she'll giggle when I tease her take the center of attention and then st- strut around like caesar <laughs> reading that part for the first time that doesn't make any sense so, so then he goes do you always have to be so dramatic and then he draws a picture of her going yes and she's doing this like huge gesticulating flourish and because of how she sticks her hand out she knocks the food out of his hand and he's got the frustrated anime anime guy face then he goes and then there is the singing when that gets out of hand, I'll want to take her out myself. The cops would understand. So the last image is her singing a song he finds annoying, and he's called the cops, and the, I'm not exaggerating here. One of the cops has his gun drawn. That's Sean Murphy's idea of romance for you. Your, your partner is pissing you off, Maybe you could kill her yourself. When the cops show up, guns drawn, they'll get it, dude. He would. He would make for a great newspaper. Com- <laughs> he would make for a great newspaper comic uh, artist. It's very much knocking off Calvin and Hobbes with this art style. Sick man, sick, sick man. Sick, sick. These are sick people. That's Sean Gordon Murphy. What, what the, the hell, hell were, were they, they thinking? thinking? All right, before we close off, let's do our taste makers grab bag. Salt, what do you have to recommend for our listeners this week? I have Resident Evil 4 Remake. I'm getting my ass kicked so bad by Spaniards. So if anyone has a taste or has a recommendation for how I can beat the uh, small Spanish nobility man, I would love some help because he's kicking my butt. <laughs> Salazar. <laughs> Salazar is so hard. Uh, just throw a golden egg at him. Oh, okay. Just throw a golden egg That's at him. It. That's yeah, it. That's yeah. it. Um, I got another recommendation it's called training is bitter by lu yi uh, lu yi is a local acrobat legend here in san francisco um, lu yi trained in circus in china both uh pre great leap forward and post great leap forward a lot of like chinese acrobatics as we know them here in the states uh came from him so like i studied with people who studied with him and it's just a really cool book about the philosophy of circus training, the hard work that goes in acrobatics. Lu Yi also offers some cultural commentary on like the pros and cons of what how, how communist China like affected his circus troupe. So that, that book's been really special to me. Land, what do you got? So on my end, I got the uh, the anti woke <laughs> uh, movie that's taking theaters by storm. Uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. I went and watched it with some friends and my brother uh, last week, and you know what? Actually, I, I did enjoy it. Like I, I'm not saying it was a uh, a great movie by you know like cinephile standards or like normal standards even, but. I enjoyed it. It was fun, you know. Like it's it looks very fine. Much a, it, I'll watch it on streaming. It's a, yeah, exactly. It's like a kid's movie, you know. Like if you're going with family, it's 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 a fun romp. Other than that, I've been watching Beef on Netflix, and by which I mean I only watched the first episode, but uh, it was actually pretty good. Um, 
yeah, I'm hoping it pans out. Like, uh, the premise of it just being, like, a road rage dark comedy, it, it, I was wondering, like, how can you run for, I think it's 10 episodes, with that premise? And uh, it seems to have given a pretty good explanation for how it's going to run with that premise. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep watching that. And uh, going outside. The weather's... I don't know about how it is down south, but up here it's uh, pretty great. You can go outside for a nice walk, and uh, this isn't me telling listeners to touch grass, but, you know, if the weather's nice, go outside. I like it. I like it. Well, thank you all for checking out this latest episode of Midnight Grappler Animals. If you want more of this kind of slop, so you want twice as much, you can get on our Patreon. $5 a month gets you that bonus episode and if you don't got five dollars a month but you want to see some of our behind the scenes uh writing and what we what we think of these books on a deeper level you can get a you can get a dollar a month it can be a flubber tier or a grappler tier yeah flubbers are one dollar grapplers are five dollars yeah so we'd, we'd really appreciate your support but you know hey if uh if you can't do that that's cool thanks thanks for joining us if you have questions anything any support counts yeah exactly if you have questions comments or suggestions for the show you can email us at midnight grappler animals at gmail.com all one word just like how it's spelled we also have a discord it's linked in our notes it's popping off in there we have good times love to see you there if you follow, if you want to follow us on Twitter, Lan can be found at Lan Tweets. That's at L A N T W E E T S, or you can follow me, Salt at Salt M Bank S A L T M B A N K. But uh, you know, let's say you're one of those people who you know you can't you can't afford the uh, the Patreon. That's okay. That's okay. What you can do is you can give us a good review. And one of you is uh, is off the warnings now. That's that's J Pop. Yes. Shout out J Pop. Yes. You, you're not only our favorite patron. You also gave us a good review. So everyone, be like J Pop. Yeah. Be like J Pop. Good guy. Other than that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.